0: Hey, Mike, do you have a baby on your couch in the background?
1: <laughs> I do. I have a that's a bitty baby if you Is know that what a doll or are. is that like a real is that your granddaughter just saying no. that supposed to be that watching a
2: real it? human?
1: That is Clara's couch behind me and she go comes and puts her baby on there and I haven't moved it since she left. So that's Claire. your baby. Clara's my granddaughter. <laughs> that's baby's not Clara. <laughs> it just it just popped up there. I'm like, holy shit, you have to get have it a baby right. on your couch. Uh, oh, I got it. There it is. Yeah, there, there it is. Right? It's it. right in the tractor tire. If you ever heard of American Girl dolls in Chicago, they have a store there and everything in a hospital yeah. form. We are yeah, our kids. But to begin with American Girl dolls, you first buy the babies, the bitty babies. Those are the little tiny babies Then they graduate up to American Girl dolls and then after that they get the real heavy dolls, the Lee Middleton dolls and through do it all. So,
2: to <laughs> say I like by default, I should be the one. Like I was uh, I read all the American Girl stories growing up. But honestly, I didn't even know that about the dolls. So I've learned something today now.
0: See? Yes. But well, let's let's get rolling. All right. Let's get rolling with kicking dirt, Mike and Adam, episode what, Mike?
1: It is season two, episode eleven. I love to
0: date. Did you ever go back and check how many actual episodes we had? Uh, I remember no. when Walker was on and he's like, What is this? And I said, Oh, it's like fifty-five, you know? And it was not. It was not even close. It's just that's how many times I've had to edit different things, but I yeah. think we're at 40 maybe now. Yeah, this we got to be, be cl-
1: low low 40s somewhere. Low we had 30, 40s. 30-some 30, 30 last year, so this oh, season fantastic. we're at 11.
0: This podcast has gone by quickly, and these seasons, like this planting season, has lasted forever. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Every year you start out and you're going like, God, we're getting the stuff in there so quick. We're going to be done well before Memorial Day and we're going to have a quiet thing. And that season just seemed to drag on and drag on. And, and today's June 17th and we are still planting.
0: <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. I got oh. a customer that I just talked to here a little bit ago. He's replanting two bean fields right now today. And I'm like, man, we just have, we have to get done. We sometime have to get done. Mother nature hasn't been kind this year. No, but you know,
1: you know who is kind? Uh Becca Bankson. The guest we have on today. <laughs> yes, we do. We have Becca Bankson. She's the retail strategic account manager for the state Hort- of Nebraska. Yeah. She's at a Hordeville. Is that right, Becca?
2: You've said it, you've said it all right. Said it all right. And man, just leading in with so many compliments. You got me all boosted, feeling feeling all great right now.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So Becca, you primarily work with retail accounts on specific products is that correct
2: yeah so on the crop protection side uh, work with our with a couple of our strategic large accounts in, in Nebraska that's my primary primary role and, and responsibility is to work with them but I also work a lot with our seed production uh, since uh, based on my geographic geography and experience and then my pet projects are are the nitrogen uh, the nitrogen clubs that we've got going on
1: Corteva has a lot of nitrogen products Uh, you review what we all have in our portfolio as far as what it is what we all offer (laughs) Mike's asking that question because he has no idea I have no idea I'm a
0: a corn product guy (laughs) yeah I'm looking at him in the face and he's just trying to figure out even how to ask that question like yeah. We offer corn <laughs> nitrogen stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think well, there, we do, Mike. I think we do.
2: Yes. I, well, I mean, this year is is one of those years where you're like, do we have? Do we ha- even have this product in stock? Where are things at with inventory and supply? So some days I don't even know what we have. So. You're, you're not you're not alone, but um, we do have a really robust portfolio of of products to help stabilize, help protect nitrogen, and fixate nitrogen as well. So the, the core of our portfolio revolves around Inserve and Instinct. Same active ingredient, uh, Optinite technology, and uh, two different formulations depending on what source of nitrogen you're using out there. Inserve for anhydrous and Instinct for UAN. Uh, urea and manure as well and our newest nitrogen stabilizer that we uh, just uh, just launched here a couple of months ago is pinit max which is a urease inhibitor so typically going to go in that on those urea applications out there and that's that that kind of rounds out our whole uh, stabilization piece and then last year we uh, got to launch our very first biological product Nutricia uh, n which is a uh, bacteria that fixates nitrogen from the air uh, for labeled for a ton of different crops, so not just uh, not just the corn market where our stabilizers fit today.
1: That's got to be incredibly interesting because the price of N, price of ni- uh, fertilizers in general, but and especially is such a big component and it's so expensive. and, and uh, I, I put on Twitter the other day the components of our atmosphere down here <laughs> where we're breathing, we are at seventy eight percent nitrogen in our air. It's right here. <laughs> Why aren't we using more of that? You know, it's just to pull it out of the air. It seems so simple, but maybe it isn't. Yeah, it seems so simple. Just take it out of the air, Mike, and put it right in the plant. And, yeah. you know, when,
0: when we've learned our entire lives that, that plants drink their food, right? It, you know, it has to come through the root system, up from the soil. You know, that's how the, yeah. you know, we've all been taught. So then how do you fixate nitrogen out of the air and get it into the plant? But I was thinking, you know, like corn and and wheat and grass crops don't do anything, but certain legumes can't, don't certain legumes actually fixate nitrogen out of the air with the bulk of it coming from rhizobia bacteria in the soil?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I I know there are tons of different families of bacteria that actually do fixate nitrogen and rhizobia is obviously the one that we're common with it from from the ag industry that fixate the majority of soybeans nitrogen needs when we'll call it your average soybean soybean yield but um, there are so many different classes of bacteria that we're discovering that actually do fixate nitrogen there's all these bacteria that do this work why don't we have them do all this work rather than using that energy intensive process of the of to make to make ammonia, why don't we just have these bacteria do it for us? <laughs> and it's so much safer and so much more efficient and inexpensive.
0: But before we get into nutrition and bacteria, hit me up real quick with more on the stabilizers, Penit Max, uh, Instinct, Next Gen, and is there any uses for those right now? You know, actually, I've got uh, I've got some urea going out right now. Um, guys are basically side dressing urea with row crop machines, broadcasting out. Would that be a good time to should we stabilize that urea right now? V six to V nine corn.
2: Absolutely. If you're going out with urea right now, I mean the temperatures here in Nebraska are so hot. We are losing uh, urea through volatilization at an exponential rate when we're at this this high heat. Uh, this, and, and also if you get to some more high pH ground, we lose, we lose so much nitrogen and pin max being a urease inhibitor is the perfect product to be going, no matter if you're just top dressing, you know, just, uh, just a little bit of nitrogen or you're putting on, you know, close to the full gambit this time of year, urea, it needs to have a urease inhibitor and pin max is just one of those, those good options for that. And I absolutely think that's a huge critical piece to, to protect. I mean, we don't, we. If you're, if you go out and buy a $100,000 piece of a piece of equipment today, you don't not have insurance, you have insurance on it, right? And the same thing goes from our nitrogen. We're writing huge checks for nitrogen on our operations, and we need to be able to have some risk management associated with it. And that's where nitrogen stabilizers you're not going to create extra nitrogen, but they are going to ensure that the nitrogen you're using actually ends up in the grain bin at the end of the year. They're actually getting v- the value from it, that it's not uh, you're not having off-target movement. And as we get to this late part of the season, besides if you're not using uh, urea as a top dress, say, you know, we've got a lot of replant situations going on. And so guys are still doing a lot of those high volume side dress, whether they're knifing it in or, or whatnot. I would still recommend a stabilizer at that point. If you're putting on you know 20 30 40 100 pounds of nitrogen you're still getting some value from it absolutely now as we transition to later in the season we start doing fertigation uh, there's uh, some different schools of thought there. But right now, absolutely. I, I I would say that our data doesn't have a super high ROI right now from most of our traditional fertigation uses. I mean, that being said, you know, every, every day, I think I know everything about how a guy's going to apply nitrogen to use nitrogen. I learned something else. So that's, uh, that's, I think, the exciting part is where we look at stuff today. This is what we've seen work. But there's so many different ways that people use nitrogen as a part of their program and different ways to do things. And that's, I mean, we're always, we're always just learning. We're always just keep, uh, keep changing and keep going forward.
0: But the days of traditional like anhydrous ammonia applications in the fall, those days are getting behind us somewhat, you know, even in these traditional areas that may have enough clay content that leaching isn't, you know, a major concern. Just the overall application of anhydrous from fall to spring seems to be gaining traction. And so people, I think, need to be educated more on things still Need to be stabilized in the springtime um, on those early applications, not just fall applications. Correct,
2: Becca? Absolutely. When you know traditionally people think about stabilizing fall because they're like, "Oh, this nitrogen's got so much time out there. We want to make sure it's protected." But uh, but the thing is, most loss that happens from fall application actually happens in the spring. It's, and so it doesn't really matter whether it's a spring applied anhydrous or a fall applied anhydrous, you still have those early spring weeks right before planting, right after planting, when we get so much moisture that causes that loss out there. And our our data consistently shows it. I mean, we've got 45 years worth of data showing showing the the value that it brings to still protect your spring applications. If you're doing large amounts, you need to have it protected out there regardless of of when that application is taking place.
1: And in nitrogen, like we mentioned, it's such an investment. You got to protect that investment you got out there. And limit the loss just for, not because of the investment you have involved, but just for the sustainability of agriculture in general and making sure it goes into the plant when the plant needs it on a real timely basis. Yeah. Not only, not only is it your biggest investment, it's one of the most complicated
0: processes, you know, as far as nutrients go in, in the soil. It's not, you know, it's not like phosphate or potassium that kind of sits there until the plants bring it in. It's got, you know, a lot of our sources of nitrogen has to go through the nitrogen cycle that be usable and what is the plant going to uptake early in the year does it take up a higher percent of ammonia versus nitrate and then later in the season takes up more nitrate no ammonia you know so what form do you even have and you got all organic nitrogen mixed in there it's like how does this all work and how do you prove it and then again how do you prove how many pounds per bushel that's the one that gets me every year
2: no, I think it's, it's, it's just fascinating to, to, to see when you talk about a talk to someone about their nitrogen program. And the thing I like to ask is, is exactly that, Adam, what's your NUE? What's your, what's your, what, how much nitrogen are you putting on to actually get a bushel of corn? And it's, it's not that 1.2 pounds anymore. Like it's, uh, I mean, we've got, we've got phenomenal producers here that are at 0.7, 0.75, uh, nitrogen use efficiency, that it's, it, it's, I mean, that we can really start to move the bar. And the other thing is that's a great financial thing when you can lower that cost and get such a higher return on investment. I mean, that's where, that's where you really start to see, uh, start to see your profits grow exponentially is when you can reduce that expenditure.
0: I like the concept, the idea of being more efficient to get the bushels, but our nitrogen use efficiency is only measured at the end of the year it's how Mm -hmm. many bushels did you get and how much did you apply and could there have been more opportunity for more bushels if we had done things differently that's what gets me all the time and then how many other factors go into getting those bushels when really we're just measuring bushels versus in because I think I'm in my mind I'm always going for that high end curve What's 300, 350 bushel take? And, and is that curve, is that nitrogen use rate higher when you get to 80 plus versus where we can measure a lot of this at maybe 260 corn and have nitrogen efficiency down to 0. 0.75, 0. 0.8, but can we do that at 300?
2: Yeah. And I, I think it goes back to that great answer that uh, agronomists love to say and everyone loves hates to hear, but it depends, right? Oh, geez. Like It's... <laughs> The only time yeah. we the I, only
0: the only time we talk about depends is talking about Mike. He turned 60 a couple weeks ago, and depends. Don't, don't go a, there, per, Adam.
1: <laughs> didn't you get depends for a birthday present? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No.
0: You're brutal. You're brutal. Okay. All right. Well, agronomists we use depends all the time.
1: Mike just uses them differently.
2: <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> I've
1: seen some charts though that you know when you are pushing those last twenty bushels, you know, two eighty to three hundred or three twenty. I think the efficiency goes up. I think I remember seeing that. I think not the sure. efficiency goes up. So like you're saying the last twenty bushels is point five
0: pounds per bushel, or it, it are you would saying be
1: it's it'd high? be less if it'd be less yeah, it'd be less pounds per bushel on those last few bushels. The plant is built, the uh the uh infrastructure's all there. Now again, it depends cuz mother nature's got to be there. You got to have the GDUs, you got to have the weather, you got to have everything clicking, but if you do everything right, I think those last bushels, the efficiency use is better, but I could be wrong. You could be and so
0: could I, but I disagree with you on that. I I mm-hmm. think that it's higher. I think that we can be more efficient, you know, that point 8. Let's just call it point 8. Up to 260 bushel but from 260 to 300 i think you got an average in maybe one and then 300 to 350 1.5 yeah i you know and i so i think our i think our nitrogen use curve is more of an uh, s curve you know it starts low goes high comes back a little as you get towards the top but then Takes a lot more to finish it off.
1: Yeah. That could be. Oh, that could I, be. You just figuring about mileage on a vehicle. If your vehicle's going sixty mile an hour, you got pretty dang good mileage. But if you're going to take it to eighty, your mileage is going to drop quite a bit per gallon. You know, maybe that's a concept that works on corn yeah. nitrogen too. I know that's a hell of a concept. Yeah. Becca, what's your thoughts?
2: I, I mean, I, I go back to when we talk about nitrogen, obviously we've got a ton of nitrogen that has to go in to create structure, right? The highways to be able to get corn to where it is. And so, I mean, I, I, I at the end of the day, if, when we've got the entire plant built and we're adding a pound more of nitrogen, obviously a pound more of that's going to grain than anything else. I think from like where, where the, where the nitrogen is going, that if you look at it from that perspective, then yes, the efficiency increases as you get later in the season. But I do think that as we start to get to top end yield, we, we run the risk of, of trying to cut one of our most controllable, uh, most controllable elements, right? Like if you look at the seven wonders of the corn world, you know, number one is, is weather, number two is nitrogen. And when we start pushing some of these, these top-end yields, the last thing we want to be doing is shortchanging it on nitrogen. I definitely think that while NUE is the great goal, We need to be very cognizant of how we get there and be trying to trying to ride that uh, really thin fence line at the very end of the season to not go over, I think, is a pretty dangerous game when you're starting to push some of those higher yields.
1: Yep, exactly. And I I know we had Russell French on earlier uh, on a podcast and he had mentioned that, you know, Just not finishing well, but adding and then adding the test weight and grain quality, but the the stock infrastructure, did you have to cannibalize that stock to finish that grain? Or did the stock enable to senesce just naturally without having to be cannibalized as much as that? So it is a fine line to at the end of the season. Where do you allow some uh, firing at the bottom of the plant as it finishes? Yeah. Remobilization is the big part.
0: That's the big piece. You know, so we're talking about going to grain and remobilization. And this is why I think the efficiency is worse when we get to those higher yields, because in a normal situation, you can allow firing in the bottom and and you can allow that plant to remobilize its nutrients to the grain and reach 280 bushel corn. But in 300 plus bushel corn, you can't allow that plant to remobilize that much nutrients because then you just can't get the grain and get it harvested and get it dried down um, without adding more nutrients. And that's why I personally think the efficiency goes less because you're still building. um, You know, the factory is built. You guys said the factory is built, but it's the maintenance. Think of the highway, even, you know, the roadways, the pathways. After they've been driven on so long, it takes more resources to repair those to get it back up to snuff than it does originally to build the whole thing. And that's how and, I kind of look at it.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's and a concept. And I have some personal,
0: personal experience from last year. You know, I don't like to brag on this, you know, but I did work on the fields the that had the top three highest NCGA entries in the state last year, Mike. <laughs> and we, you know, after Russell, after we had that podcast, and Russell kept saying corn can take nitrogen up till mid-dent. You know, that's what he kept saying. He's like, yeah, it'll keep going. So I was pulling tissue samples that late, getting stuff back, and it was showing, you know, right in the sufficient range. So what did I do? Added 35 more pounds of nitrogen to see if we could get it to the excessive range. And we were pulling out 347 bushel corn. And where we didn't do that, we were pulling out 305 bushel corn. Yeah, and stocks probably similar quality. And similar quality stocks, Yeah. 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 And so when you look at that, that's a 42 bushel difference with 35 pounds. That's where I'm saying the efficiency, I feel like it took more later. Yeah. So my could opinion. Be.
1: It could be. Um, yeah.
2: I, I definitely think that late season nitrogen is is really important. And that if we don't if we're not providing nitrogen at the end of the season, we're we're missing the boat.
0: And that's where nutrition can be a big player. Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah. And I, 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 I was biting my tongue because I'm like, I know we're going to get to this. But when you're talking about uh, <laughs> talking about having these high yield uh, environments where you're needing to add nitrogen at the end, I mean, that is a perfect place for you, Trisha, to be because it is a backup generator. So it's using the nitrogen cycle. So that's what's capturing nitrogen from the air, uh, creating it uh, into ammonium. And it's only producing that ammonium when the corn plant is not sufficient. So when that you can think of it as as just like that, what I said, a backup generator, your corn plant's ammonium levels dip below what they want it, that bacteria starts, kicks on, starts producing that ammonium. And when the levels are sufficient, it's going to hang out there, it's going to relax, enjoy itself and wait for its opportunity uh, to provide that value in a symbiotic relationship.
1: So when is the best time to be putting on Eutritia?
2: So Nutricia is a season-long product, as most biological products are. But that Nutricia is different in the fact that it is a foliar application. So it is a bacteria that completely colonizes leaf tissue. And uh, technically, you could apply it super, super early in the season. But as we all know, from a, from a risk management standpoint, we do, we want to make sure we've got a, a crop that's growing, right? So applying in that v6 to v8 time frame is ideal there's a few times we'll go a little bit earlier maybe at v5 and there are a few situations and we're starting to do some more research on some later season applications of nutrition but ideally i love having it on this time of year so that those bacteria can get colonized they can get out there and start uh, start producing nitrogen for those plants
0: yeah, yeah. so i had again, I we did some trials with that stuff last year. And this is, I'm just going to share my personal experiences here, not saying right or wrong. What we had found um, on certain fields, we actually did roughly V6 applications. It was uh, uh, last year, I think it was right around the, the 6th or 7th of June was kind of in that V6 application. And then we came back when it was V9 to V10, where we had just a, full, a fuller canopy to catch more of that material. And we we had actually found on those fields that that V9 to V10 application generated more yields, but mainly because I think we we're also high management fields as far as already some fertigation applied, um, you know, already multiple applications up to V10 to get it to that point. So there was really no, in my mind, time frame that the plant was ever going to be stressed really of nitrogen till about V15 into the real heavy. You know, we're we're getting into that heavy up curve, but that's one of the most important times in my mind that you can't ever be short. Is that V15 to tassel? Um, mm-hmm. And I think so. It, it colonized itself in just enough time to
1: get there and gave us that big benefit without ever having to be short.
2: Oh, and, and it's,
1: I and the and the bacteria, as I understand it, will go into the stomate of the leaf, right? Yes, so they got to so... they got to be. They got to be open, don't they? I mean, exactly. <laughs> I mean, th- this,
2: uh, th- these bacteria are pretty large bacteria. They're a methyl based bacteria or a, a methyl bacterium family. And uh, they've got to, the only way they're getting into that plant is through the stomates. And so when we start talking about having some really hot temperatures right now, uh, those stomates, you know, are going to close, and we've got to apply eutrichia in morning applications out there because we need to have that pathway open for eutrichia to head in and uh, get that uh, start that colonization process out there. If we if we wait and apply eutrichia at three o'clock in the afternoon when it's a hundred degrees, uh, unfortunately, you're just not going to get that benefit. Eutrichia is not going to make it, and that's unfortunately a, a, a not a wasted application.
0: And if it hits the soil. It's a wasted application also, correct?
2: Exactly. It's we only present in the leaf tissue. These bacteria are not gonna survive and provide that benefit in the soil. So you know, if you're if your application method is set up that you can band over the plant great, go for it. I mean, that's going to be the best value for, for an application out there. But broadcast applications at V6 to V8 is the most common, commonly used application. And it, uh, as long as we're doing it in the morning. And the other thing that it's been interesting for me, so you know, obviously from the crop protection side, and biologicals are a bit of a new thing, is just thinking about how many other things you need to think about when you're dealing with a living organism. Like one of the biggest things is uh, chlorine in the water. Like I know so many people who put, you know, pool tabs in your, in your, in your spray tank to prevent algae growth. Well, when you're putting those in to prevent algae growth, you would be killing any bacteria. (laughs) So there's a, there's a lot more steps that when we start talking about the biological based products. We've got to think about making sure that our temperatures aren't too hot, that our water quality is uh, we're not doing something to, to kill, kill algae growth. And we're not having that chlorine contact. And then we've also got to think about what else is in that tank when it comes to legally. You can mix anything with you, Tricia. There isn't any legal restrictions, but. Um, one of Cortaba's big pr- promises is like we are going to test everything that goes with nutricia because we want to make sure that if you're adding a herbicide or a fungicide in with this application that it doesn't negatively hurt the bacteria and so that's so uh, on nutricia specifically we have a biocompatibility guide of products we've tested to make sure that they're not gonna harm Utritia, they're not gonna hurt it because there are many uh, crop protection products that have essentially antimicrobial products built into the herbicide formulation. So if you mix that with Eutritia, unfortunately it's gonna negatively affect it. And so that's one of the it's it's a pain, don't get me wrong, to like start having to think through things differently, but it's a it's a different mindset in the biological world and it's it's a it's a good challenge. It was a I point that Matt.
0: listening that sounded really complicated. So I know our farmers <laughs> won't.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, you, you <laughs> I'm mention. just joking, Becca. I'm,
1: just I'm joking.
2: sorry. I'm sorry.
1: We just want simple and easy. Yeah. And another point made, Adam mentioned earlier, if it hits dirt, it's not doing any benefit. If you're broadcasting it on small corn, you're hitting a lot of dirt. So mm-hmm. either band it over the top of small corn or wait until it gets a bit bigger where you can hit a lot more leaf tissue for the most coverage of that and getting on green tissue. We're,
0: yeah, let's throw a biological in there and have everything cleaned out properly. And I mean, it's just different, you know, so I'm always concerned that whenever we get these new ideas and, and uh, things that are beneficial, but take a little extra time to think about it. They never catch on that quickly.
2: Yeah it's it, it's something where we can't you can't you can't have your cake you need it too, unfortunately and for some producers that's you know maybe maybe you Trisha, isn't the right fit for where you're at today and that's and that's a fine answer right like we all that, that there's not one perfect way uh to grow a crop there's not one perfect thing and that, that's a fine thing but i know you got upset when i said you can't have your cake you needed to i saw that face i, I
1: know um, yeah, I'm sorry. adam really like cake
0: I do like cake can't you tell <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, the one thing that really caught me off guard when we were using this last year was it's label for soybeans and I got to thinking why in the hell do we need a, another bacteria you know labeled for soybeans tell, tell me more about that
2: all right I'm gonna I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take a moment and jump on my excited soapbox so okay. I absolutely was so excited about on soybeans because We think about, we'll call it 80 bushel soybeans. It's about that magic uh, magic number where I think it differentiates between needing more nitrogen and not needing nitrogen. But a lot of guys don't realize how much nitrogen it takes to make a soybean crop. Like soybeans need about four times more nitrogen per bushel of grain than corn does. We just don't think about it because we've got this rhizobia bacteria that's uh, on our root inoculants. That is producing most of that nitrogen for us already, and so it's producing nitrogen. We're getting some mineralization out there. So normally nitrogen is not a is not a big issue for soybeans, but once you start getting above that eighty bushel, uh, there's so much re- university research, you know, Corteva research that shows like. We need more nitrogen, guys. Once you start getting those higher yields, nitrogen quickly becomes the limiting factor on some of the on some of these bean fields. So, uh, from Man. some of the preliminary stuff we've done this year, uh, i could I could go on forever about that I'll I'll, yeah. I'll jump off my soapbox and 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 not take up Adams Adams speaking time,
1: nope. yeah, Mike's getting I, in I, here. Mike you get I'm it. getting you in get here it. now. i yeah. I'm just thinking about this and and I am excited about it on beans, too. and. You know, you're talking 80 bushel beans, but I'm thinking about the conditions where rhizobia bacteria doesn't work very well. And that's generally at the spectrums of pH, where the pH is really low or the pH is really high. They don't like it. It's when it's outside the neutral zone or poorly drained soils or tight soils that You know, they got to pull nitrogen out of the air that's in the soil. And if that soil is compacted, doesn't have a lot of air pockets, uh, the rhizobia doesn't work very well. And I think a lot of those kind of fields would benefit from nutrition uh, with more than even a lot of the the ice cream soil type fields we have in the area. I know there's a lot of fields we try to push to 100 bushels, but uh, uh, some of these adverse condition fields, I think, could really benefit from nutrition also because, yeah, you're right, Becca, soybeans take a ton of nitrogen. And uh, anytime we but can we, supplement that,
0: I'm jumping in here now, Mike, because you didn't read the literature very well. Uh, pH, it's, it's pH, yeah, iron, I know, I know, but, you, you know, like the stomata's closing. You, I mean, yeah, it, I know, any but, bacteria doesn't work well in that situation, right? It, Becca, but, and and we're the same with nutrition going on foliar. You know, if we're in those adverse conditions from a pH standpoint,
1: yeah, yeah, I, but, but I Rhizobia know talking- is going to not do well at all in 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 those pH. Nutricia's got a better chance, I think. Well, I
0: think it right. would too, especially if you could get to it before the plants are showing your yeah, chlorosis. chlorosis, or if you're putting, <laughs> if at least if you're putting iron in furrow. You, I mean, you're right. We never get nodulation in those situations, mm-hmm. but yet I think we could reduce the iron deficiency above ground. So maybe the the Nutricia bacteria could fixate nitrogen in that scenario. Be a great test. It would be a very it would. good test.
2: You know what you that's something that I haven't really spent much time or focused too much on but I, I was just walking a really bad IDC field this week so maybe I'm just going to go get a hand sprayer up and just go spray a few swatches of you Trish, out there see if it makes a difference.
1: Yeah. That would and be a very good thing. Yeah, yes. you, could, you could create some great visuals in that central city area. I'm sure. Oh,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about uh, some hard, uh, hard places to grow soybeans? Sometimes, yeah. yikes!
0: The Platte River yellows. Yep.
2: Yes. Okay. Fifty huh. percent of soybeans nitrogen needs occur after R five, and that I think is just a mind blowing thing when you think about where where beans finally start to get. At, at r5 and how much nitrogen that is is just a insane number of you know we're talking 200 plus pounds after the after the middle to end of july you know oh man depend, I, got, I, mean, I yeah it I, depends I, where you're at but
1: yeah i gotta look something up here that's crazy isn't it i mean you, you in the, you look at a lot of the yields sometimes when the uh bean count or the pod count is set and how many beans are in each pod is set your only real way to increase yield is to, to swell that bean size to bigger and bigger levels, and that's just pushing it late too. So there's a time when it's setting pods, determining which ones it's going to abort and keep, and then after that, it's just get as big as beans as possible out of the ones you have out there. So. Okay, I'm
0: just I'm looking at this real quick. So R5, um, R5 to R8 full maturity is roughly. Let's see here. That's uh, 33, 41 days. We'll call it 41 days off a kind of textbook or five to to maturity, and we need over 200 pounds. Let's call it 230 pounds by, by 41. That's five and a half pounds per day uptake. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's a lot of in, isn't it? <laughs> that
2: is. I I mean, when you when you think about it that way, you should you can just about watch the nitrogen move in a just... in a soybean plant we're talking about.
1: So it's got to be mineralization of the old corn stalks or organic matter to every source you got out there. See, this is this is what has always blown my mind, too.
0: And this comes back to that credit, giving credit for nitrogen coming from a soybean field into corn. And I personally don't get that. I it's not it's not like the beans are leaving nitrogen out there. It really just comes from better mineralization and activity in that soil that the theory has come that they can, you can give 30 pounds credit for your next year's corn crop. But I don't ever see that, I guess. I don't see why we're doing that. I feel like we're limiting ourselves when we're going into this better environment on soybean ground by limiting or taking that 30 to 60 pounds, which some people do, away. What's your thoughts?
2: I agree that like when, you know, a lot of this preliminary work was done, we were at a different soybean yield environment, right? Like when we, when we, when these numbers were, were, were analyzed and stuff was crafted. And I do feel like when we start to get into our, the varieties we have today, the higher yielding situations we're not leaving nitrogen behind, right? Like we're taking every bit of nitrogen we can get. And I get really uncomfortable to take huge, massive, you know, 60 plus pounds credit. Like, I just don't think that is truly there. Not just, It's not there in the fodder that's left behind. Like there's just, a, we've t- we're have we taking a lot of nitrogen in, out in terms of the soybeans that we're harvesting out.
1: Yeah. yeah. And and you see that from a lot of crop consultants today, they're, they're giving less and less credit to that carryover uh, than they used to. It used to be back in the nineties. I think they'd even say every bushel of beans you pulled off a field, that was a pound of credit you could have. And now I think like a lot of them are at 20 or 30 pounds credit and that's max. Some don't even give any credit. Mm-hmm. So. Well, let's do, let's do the math
0: real quick again. So six, let's say 60 bushel. 55 to 60 bushel was pretty good beans, um, you know, in those days, in those environments. We're using similar rhizobia. It's, you know, the plants are producing or this rhizobia is probably producing similar nitrogen as they had before. Um, and so let's say 60, they, they're saying the soybeans could produce about 400 pounds of nitrogen a year. But 60 bushel beans only take 330. So in reality, that would leave you seventy pounds that the soybeans That's, weren't utilizing. Yeah. In today's world, we're using almost another hundred and thirty pounds over what
1: those soybeans can actually produce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Game is game has certainly changed when you went to eighty to hundred bushel beans, hasn't it? It's just we actually had field averages over hundred bushel soybeans last year, like field, full full hundred
0: thirty five acre
1: under pivot fields. Yep. It's crazy. Uh,
2: And I I think some of it, you look last year, we had such phenomenal mineralization last year. And I think some some of our great soybean yields we had had to come from the fact we got more nitrogen than we were planning on because of some really good mineralization that's out there. And that's obviously not something we can count on every year.
0: Did I hear that? And maybe you know this number, but I heard through the grapevine in a lot of our silt loam soils across the state of Nebraska, mineralization plus upwards of 65 pounds throughout the growing season last year. And I think some of that information came through our granular nitrogen models that are calculating mineralization from the year. Is that similar to what you've heard or am I way yep. off?
2: No, I, I, I've heard similar ranges, ranges around that, you know, 40 to 60 plus pounds. And some situa- obviously some situations can be better, but like as, a, as an average, which is just a crazy amount of mineralization.
0: Yeah.
1: I wonder where we're at right now
2: <laughs> probably <far>
1: don't. <laughs> I had a farmer tell me the other day that he thinks the stocks got stronger over winter the stock rating <laughs> the stocks went from a five rating to a six in this in the spring <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they didn't break down early at all so I mean the trash is still just everywhere I'm sitting here at the
0: field's edge just looking at this bean field that isn't growing at all because there's just a mat of trash out here and these beans are struggling, you know, and it's gotta be slowing down that the rhizobia and just the bacteria and the soil and, you know, really get these beans growing. There's one, it's cooler. They're not getting any heat under there. It's a little more damp. Um, the yeah. heads, I think we've starved all the microbes in the soil because of that residue. And it's never broke down. I don't know. I'm almost thinking about spending some nitrogen on some of these fields with such heavy residue Just to start feeding microbial activity, to hopefully jumpstart some of that for late in the year, is that a stupid idea? And you can you can say yeah. One of you can. I
1: think it's a great idea. (laughs) I think I think a lot of guys up in the O'Neill Atkinson area are are planning are doing that actually, just trying to get that jump started, breaking that down and get we we got heat now. We just need the moisture and, and nitrogen to feed that. Get that carbon nitrogen cycle right and start breaking it down and and as the year morphs, Adam, we might be having a blessing with that residue, keeping the soil cool in these hundred degree days and moist underneath. You never know it could flip right around you're going like, gosh, I'm glad I got a lot of that residue, yeah, but it, it just happens to be in patches and there's other areas where it's bare soil, so well that's a great comment
0: because I've had to have those conversations with a lot of growers here the last just even ten days. Uh, As you look at this corn crop in these conventional or strip-till fields that had been cleaned well, those crops look beautiful. Those corn crops are really growing. You know, they're soaking this in, good moisture, good nutrient uptake because of placement and everything else. And then you look at a lot of these no-till fields with heavy residue, and they are struggling to get going. I mean, it's just, they are. But usually by mid-July, all of a sudden those tables start turning. And those Mm -hmm. no-till fields, you know, they're picking up the benefits late in the year and they look better and they fill out grain well. And then you go back to see, this is why we don't disc everything every year. Exactly. You
2: know, I I always like to to say that some of those you know, full tillage fields. They're like, they're the kids that peaked in high school. Okay. Like, like <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter there. At the end of, end of life is where you want to be. Don't be the one that peaked in high school.
0: What do you mean? We don't harvest in June. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, when, you, when con- you, it's it is, it's a beauty contest. When you drive up and down these gravel roads and you can see the top of cornfields still, it's all measured on how good does that look? But as soon as the corn all tassels out and it's above your head and you can't really see the tops of it all when you're driving around, you can't see how beautiful the field looks anymore, you know, and the beauty contest is completely gone, but it's it's a visual harvest time until now until tassel of just saying man that's so beautiful. That
1: corn is going to yield 400 bushel. Look how good it looks. Yeah, I do that every day with looking at corn hybrids, <laughs> giving a <them> beauty <laughs> contest right now. But it's going to be a completely different
0: story by fall. Yeah. All right. So nitrogen stabilizers, uh, Utrisha, the the In Club, which I got I got to commend you on that. That that was a brilliant idea. Um, the people on the call or listening on the podcast probably have no idea what we're talking about. But the N Club tells us what you have kind of created there and the learning opportunity uh, for and just education and what it's kind of geared towards. If you would,
2: so the N Club is a uh, it's a it's a group that uh, that we that we started. It's a joint effort between Crop Protection, the Pioneer Agronomy team, and the Granular team as well. Uh, just to really educate uh, several several producers and several reps about how to be the best manager of nitrogen, right? Because it's not something that we can just write out a script at the beginning of the year and give you the perfect field map to success. It's super dynamic. It's super different for for various people. And we want to be able to, to give that information. I mean, we... Corteva is the creator of the very first nitrogen stabilizer. Uh, we've got the digital, the, the, the best digital platform for uh, measurement of, of nitrogen and a dynamic nitrogen modeling tool. And also we've got, you know, how many hundred plus years of agronomy research on the pioneer side. And there's, there's no, better, no better way than to bring those, bring all those resources into one room and to, to listen to what people have to say about what's worked for them and what can we do to create perfect situations for our growers to maximize maximize their revenue maximize their profit on their farms and not all of us always have the same opinion so you know not a, not afraid to to say adam i don't agree with you on this but that's that's fine right like good debate is important that's where good new ideas are fostering and come from
0: are you and, saying my opinion doesn't matter becca i think she's exactly saying that i mean because that's, that's if what I would she say. If- because if you're saying that, that is twice this week I have been told that now.
1: And he has. He said his opinion doesn't matter, and he was crushed a couple days ago, but it's starting to not hurt so much now. Is it,
0: it's kind of sinking in now, like, wait, it only, it only matters to me?
2: I mean, huh. I'm not going to say your opinion doesn't matter. I'm just going to say sometimes you're wrong. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now I know you're not talking to me. That was directed towards Mike.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What I I liked about this uh, N-Club was getting the NRD involved a little bit about their constant effort towards monitoring nitrogen in our drinking water and and utilizing nitrogen in the most efficient manner. And they are totally bought in on this concept of Eutritia and and, uh, utilizing N from the air instead of over applying in the fields that would happen. So this, this is a great concept we got here and a great product.
2: I think uh, having the NRDs was a nice, a nice part of it because, you know, most of the time a lot of people's experience with the NRD is because there's a problem, right? You know, we're mm-hmm. from the government and we're here to help. And that's not the most like exciting <laughs> and, and warm and cozy feeling, right? But at the end of the day, our, our NRDs are, are locally elected people and Nebraska is the only place that has an NRD system. Like we are so lucky that we locally control our water quality and water quantity. And that has provided so much exponential benefits. And at the end of the day, everyone's goal is to have ample supply of good, clean water. And so many producers today are doing so many good things. We want to replicate those efforts. Yeah, there are some people that have a little bit of room to grow, but the more that we can help bring uh, bring those people that aren't quite as progressive, up, up to the to the realms where everyone else is at. The more we can keep uh, the federal government away from creating regulations that restrict uh, our use to be able to have good, clean water.
0: And and education is the key to all of that. It's education in my mind, and exactly what you're doing, and the systems that we have, uh, the granular nitrogen system, and and the all the information behind you, Tricia, and nitrogen stabilizers, and just getting that information out to people. And not just our growers, because a lot of our growers are doing things very well, but it's about getting that information to the NRD and to the, the people making decisions for us, uh, you know, if you can start educating them on the, on the usage, the monitoring of it, watching where it's going, understanding root uptake, understanding time frame of uptake, you know, all of a sudden it becomes a, a, a pretty equal relationship between <laughs> government and farmers Uh, And all of us together, you know, just trying to make it better. So that's it's been fantastic. I absolutely great concept and a great idea of putting that club together to educate. Exactly. Well,
2: we're we're excited.
0: So I'm just waiting for what's next.
2: Well, you know, we we, you're gonna have to wait and see. We've got uh, we've got some pretty fun plans uh, plans in place for. Happen things off at the end of the season and give you the opportunity to uh, share your share your opinion. Hopefully, it's the right opinion in yes. front of everyone.
1: Yes, and they will value that that opinion, Adam. So, well, the the ten
0: thousand people that listen to this podcast since we started, I've gotten pretty good feedback that they like my opinion. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gonna say that that trumps a lot, you know, because I put my opinion out here. <laughs> Every time we do this podcast, you know, yeah, and I rarely true. get a call saying, hey, your opinion sucks, you know, so I'm going with, I'm going with my opinion matters. I don't care yep. what you
1: guys are saying this week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're in the exciting world of biologicals, Becca. I think uh, there's just a lot more to come and a lot of exciting products. I can see someday where we have multiple biologicals fixing nitrogen in different forms whether it's on the roots and the leaves or whatever so it's an exciting world we will be venturing into on this
2: as time goes on we're going to be able to be more accurate today you know we we know x and we can say x you know give us a couple more years a few thousand more trials and more data points and all of a sudden we're we're now going to be at y it's just a, it's very dynamic
0: this is a great time in pretty much all of Nebraska and really pretty much all of the corn belt stage-wise just to, to get you, Tricia, on uh, post-application on your corn. Look at fertigation, side dress applications. Uh, talk, to, talk to your sales reps. Talk to your local granular CSAs about even looking at monitoring the nitrogen from this year. We can understand what mineralization has been to this point, where nitrogen's going, where you're where your roots are at, what the uptake is. And, and just have that conversation because these these sales reps and these CSAs are getting more and more educated every day. And the types of stuff that Becca has put together to educate them is where now growers can go to get this information better. It doesn't have to be just a small club. It can be everybody. So just go ask.
2: I go back, I'm an analogy person, love to use analogies. I like to say like, all right, right now it's going to be, it's going to be hundred out there today. If I'm standing out in a cornfield and it's hundred degrees and you bring me uh, a nice pair of sunglasses, I'm going to, I'm going to thank you for those sunglasses. And those are nice. That doesn't mean they're not, they're not good sunglasses, but what I really need is an air conditioner and a bush light. And so those are the two <laughs> most important things to me at that time. And the same thing goes for you, Tricia. It is nitrogen. It's just nitrogen. If there are other limiting factors out there for that crop, say that you don't have enough water out there, we're not getting appropriate GDUs, it's really heat stress. There are other things that will be more important than having you, be a part of your program today. Doesn't say it's not working. It's just there's some bigger, bigger rocks that we've got to take a look at. But for the majority of of people, most of those things are taken care of. And we can be at that point where you, is really bringing home that value.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point. You know, the, the the law of least available nutrients is going to be your limiting factor, and and if nitrogen's not it, then you know it's it's some other element or, or nutrient. Then then nutritious, you're probably not going to see a lot of big benefit to it. I do see, and I would love to see these trials on high pH soybeans, though. I I just because the 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 rhizobia does not like high pH at all. It's usually dense, packed soil that doesn't have much air pockets in it. It's not going to fix much N. I I think if you could have some of those trials like that, we could see uh, some amazing things come out of that. So,
0: Well, close her up, Mike. Put, put a bow on this thing for us, would you?
1: Yep. I just want to thank you, Becca. Becca Bankson, uh, Retail Strategic Account Manager, and uh, focusing and talking about nitrogen use efficiency tools and uh, nutrition in general, because that's the one we're in the season for right now. So... Thank you, Becca, for being on our podcast this week.
2: Much appreciated. <laughs> I loved love to be able to discuss things and uh, really, uh, really happy to be able to share some, some of the cool things we've got going on.
0: Kicking dirt, Mike and Adam. All right. That's a wrap.